You're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. It's great to be with you again. How's everybody doing? Great. Fantastic. Awesome. Today we are talking about episode 7, Down Neck. The air date was February 21st, 1999. Again, there have been no gaps in the timeline. Everything is being released on a weekly basis, just like our show. Um, It was written by Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess, directed by Lorraine Senna Ferrara. I have some information about Robin and Mitchell. They are a married couple. Robin Green has won Emmys for her writing on the show, as well as two Peabody's and a Golden Globe. She must have been born after those feminists because she didn't take his name. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Good call. She went on to create and exec produce Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods is mentioned a lot. If you look at the IMDb of the actors that were in this episode in particular, a lot of the actors, including the doctor that uh, diagnoses AJ Jr., they've been in the show. Have you guys ever seen that show? This is the one with Adriana and Matt LeBlanc? No? No, I think that was Joey's show after Friends. Blue Bloods. I only watched The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, no, clearly our worldview is very small here, but it's interesting because these guys are are Chase's heavy hitters, and the show they went on to make is the show called Blue Bloods, so I'm actually Hmm. naturally curious about it. I think it's with Tom Selleck, though. And if it is, uh, I don't know if you're checking right now. I'm checking. But if it is with Tom Selleck, I already am kind of out. <laughs> oh, you're not a Tom Selleck guy? I don't know. You I, hate don't know. I think I'm jealous of Tom Selleck is what it is. <laughs> that his his uh, mustache works and I could never do. Uh, it is Tom Selleck. It is Tom Selleck show, And the right? great Donnie Wahlberg. How many seasons did that show go for? Season nine premieres wow. in September. Wow. Uh, okay, so Robin Green created that show. Mitchell Burgess has also been nominated for an Emmy 11 times and won three. So the people that put this show together, again, are David Chase's core team. I read that he actually, after season one, fired everybody on the writing team except for these two because no one else understood kind of the vision or where he was trying to go better than they did, which is kind of draconian if you think about it. But a bold move. There's some interesting little tidbit about the director, Lorraine Senna Ferrara. Yeah, of the 86 episodes that we get to go on this journey with The Sopranos, uh, Lorraine is the only female director. One out of 86, yeah. Early in the game, but then never again, um, which is something that I would love to get some listener feedback on as well. So if you have any thoughts about that, if you or if you know anything about that. Well, there's another female Lorraine that we meet later on that is the only woman of her kind in the show. <laughs> well, we'll leave that to a later date. Good call. Justin, tell us about the title, Down Neck. The title, Down Neck. Um, it refers to an ironbound section of Newark where Tony grew up via Sopranos autopsy. Shout out to them. Down neck also suggests AJ's drinking of the sacramental wine and Tony's whipped cream canister moment at the end of the show. Love double entendres. Yeah. HBO synopsis. After stealing the sacramental wine that you just mentioned from the school chapel, Anthony Jr. is suspended. Tony is concerned that his bad influence is responsible for his son's behavior and has a series of disturbing flashbacks in which he remembers learning that his own father was in the mob. This uh, first episode is really the centerpiece of the first season. Uh, Everything up to this point is pretty much rising action, and everything after this point is headed for that climax. Mm -hmm. And it's the episode where at least one key event is the most notable, and that's Livia learning about Tony's therapy. Yeah, Yeah, probably, if not the most favorite, one of the favorite scenes in the episode is the exchange between Livia and AJ. Yeah, I feel like this episode nothing significant outside of that really happens, but I still feel like it's a really meaty one. There's a lot of setup that goes on. I think to, to your point, John, there's, there's a lot going on under the scenes, but we don't really see anything 
any actions come about? Yeah, to the core, this episode's about fathers and mothers and their sons. And we see that in different dynamics from flashbacks to flash forwards to, I guess, a good place would probably to start is the first scene that sets off in motion the conflicts in the present Sopranos universe. And in that scene, uh, it's AJ and his buddies drinking the sacramental wine that they've stolen from the school's chapel. Which, by the way, um, some of the listener feedback that we got was uh, people wanted to know or they were curious while they're listening to the show in the car, on their way to work or while working. Some of the location settings, they asked if we would be able to tell them where did this scene happen. So the church that you speak of is actually a real church in Long Island City, New York, and it's called St. Rita's Catholic Church. For anybody who wants to go check it out, that's the church. The interior shots are all taken there. St. Rita. Well, actually, the saint in the show is St. Jude, and I caught that via Soprano's autopsy. Did you catch what uh, St. Jude is also the patron saint for uh, desperate cases and lost causes? And I found that way too appropriate for the statue to be some kind of notion that AJ is destined to fail. If there ever was an indication that everything in the show is intentional, that is it. That's amazing. Yeah. They totally knew exactly, down to the patron saint they want to use to make a point tacitly. Fascinating. So we usually talk themes. That's something Mm. that we use as a device to kind of anchor the show. This week, I was thinking a lot about symbolism. And again, we just talked about the first symbol right there, patron saints and Mm -hmm. and then portending AJ's future. You mentioned fathers, mothers, and their sons. We're going to talk about that a lot. One of the things in chronology that I noticed about, this goes to symbolism, is Melfi's lipstick is darker than, and you guys are going to give me a lot of shit for this because I, I talk about Carmela's hair. Uh, I, I talk yeah, about her, her, mentioned her it because I was going yeah. to. Okay, I knew yeah. you, I'm going to get the elephant out of the room. I, I get it out of the way. Yes, I, I observe these little weird intricacies, but her lipstick is darker than normal. This, the session after Tony says he loves her, I just want to get your thoughts on the symbolism, on the choice, the meaning of that. This is what what is referred to in psychology as the Florence Nightingale effect where the patient falls in love with the doctor Mm. or the doctor falls in love with the patient. So what does the dark lipstick mean? Dr. Justin? Well, I'm going to sit this one out because colors are not my specialty. I'm colorblind. colorblind. So I'm going to sit this one out, let John talk about the lipstick, his favorite. His the favorite. symbolism you talked about with the vest seemed more interesting yeah, okay, to me. Yeah, so, so the, she's also wearing a vest. So she's wearing dark lipstick and she's wearing a vest, like a three-piece suit. I would say for the, the, the lipstick, I would have thought if that was her intention to minimize her attractiveness, would be to remove makeup and lipstick altogether and sort of... In my opinion, it enhanced her attractiveness. She looks sure. good. Well, she we know your, your preference in, uh, in dark, lipstick. Yeah. In dark yeah. lipstick, yeah. Well, well, you know what's interesting about the Florence Nightingale effect? I found that Tony tries to make Melfi jealous at one point, talking about his 24-year-old girlfriend and trying to throw that in her face. And Melfi doesn't flinch. Obviously, she doesn't care about that. And I look at that as the first time that Tony kind of gets what therapy is and that Melfi's not just another woman. She doesn't flinch and, you know, the camera pans right back to him and his face is kind of confused. He's like, why didn't that work? All of my experiences with women have been reactionary and they you know, get all up in arms. But right now, Melfi didn't have any reaction at all. So this was the first time that he's looked at her, maybe not as a woman, but as maybe a medical professional. And I think that's exacerbated by the fact that he's asking not just about himself, he's starting to ask about his son. 
You mentioned the point that he tries to almost rub in the fact that he has a 24-year-old girlfriend. You notice his, his hand gesture that he makes. It's off, it's off the frame. 24. But you know, but you, but you know what he's doing. It's Again, that's James Gandolfini, man. That's, that's just brilliance yeah. right there. But he rubs it in her face again, you know, like, how, how is she taking it? Is this merely retaliation for being rejected? I think what it's both. Uh, his feelings are hurt that his love for her wasn't reciprocated. And she brought up that subject. I don't think he would have brought it up. And he needed... A defense mechanism was to say that he has this girlfriend, but she handled it perfectly, and maybe it was that vest. I'd, let's not let the him uh, go off the hook on this one. <laughs> well, in so, the next meeting, the vest is off, so oh, her, she's wow. not feeling as threatened. See, I paid attention. Look, this is a, you can thread a thin needle with where I'm going with these things because there is a point. Like the first thing that I noticed about her was that she didn't flinch when he said, "I have a 24 year old mm. girlfriend," and that's when I noticed her body armor. I want to start a create a segment now of what is Melfi wearing each week that we go Vic's over this Vic's Fashion now. Corner? Okay. Yeah. Vic's Fashion Corner. <laughs> well, you can also call it Vic's Barbershop. We can talk about, which Carmela did have a couple of different hairstyles, but I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to, for fear of uh, <laughs> retribution. I, I'm going to be peppering you guys with questions today because, uh, like, you're right, the episode, we're not going to recap the shows for our listeners because our listeners are either watching it, have already seen it, and they kind of know the general lay of the land, and sure. the synopsis does a good job of that. But one of the things I noticed is that we finally, at least I finally got a clear shot of Tony's right arm tattoo. Mm. Um, I couldn't see it what it was at first, but then later on when he's with AJ and he's making the ice cream, it's a tiger. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Do you guys have any idea what that symbolizes or means? Yeah, Tony the tiger. Frosted Flakes, good. Let him go. <laughs> There's been, <laughs> I did some deep dive in preparation for that question. Thank you. And it's my understanding that Johnny Boy and Polly both have the same tattoo. Really? So we can surmise that Tony got it because people that he looked up to in the mafia also had it. Maybe it was the proverbial, what was that popular tattoo? The barbed wire, mm. the tribal. Maybe that was just a hot tattoo. That was the stereotypical the Italian 70s. tattoo. When I've read somewhere up. that someone said that was James Gandolfini's actual tattoo. Thank you. That's what I was what I was wondering. I haven't confirmed that. Okay. If anybody knows, that would be amazing. If so, it was built into the character from the day one. From day one. Hmm, the potentially. Day one. Yeah. Uh, I just said the day one. It reminds me of uh, Carmela yelling at AJ. You can't get on the internet or that <laughs> <Yeah>. internet. <laughs> I liked your meme today, by the way, guys, on uh, 2000s Kids Punishment punishment Pack. I have a feeling your memes are going to become very thematic as we continue down this road. I'll tell you what, one value of us doing this is that it's made us look at the show in such a deep way that it's revealing a lot of interesting things about the show and creating more memes, so it's improving our game. Yeah, and one thing that we want to do going forward is watch every episode chronologically as we're doing for for Pot of Bing and maybe have a meme or two ready for each episode. That would be amazing. There is an other symbol. Again, we're talking about symbols. We talked about Tony's tattoo. We talked about Melfi's vest, his lipstick. And there's this other symbol where when Livia, we, the scene that we're going to kind of get into in depth in a few minutes here, when Livia is waiting for AJ to come and sit down with her, she is holding a magnifying glass and she's looking through the obituaries, uh, obituaries yeah. looking at the death notices. Any thoughts on that? I mean, she says she's counting the days. I wish the Lord would take yeah. me now. Is that real? Is that contrived? Or is that actually her no, state I, of mind? I think that's her state of mind. She, she has an obsession with the morbid. She's constantly talking about babies getting tossed out of windows. All all of these other symbolisms that are related to death. 
She is obviously depressed. That gene has been passed down, as we know, and she's just consumed genetical. with death. Genetical. Genetical, it's genetical. Yes. Another one of Tony's great misnomers. Amazing. We got Captain Teeb so far. Genetical. We should probably document all of these going forward and have a ranking of which one's the best. Get on it. That's your, that's my domain. That's your I'm domain. On it. Listen, the uh, thing with genetical also, <laughs> what, I, what I wonder, I wonder if that's James Gandolfini's ad lib or if it was in the script. Obviously, I, we can go back and pull the script and see if it was actually written in the script, but which I think I actually will do post-script yeah. and I'll update you guys on the next episode. But how cool would it be if he actually was just living in the moment and said that? It's probably all genetical. Back to your question regarding her looking at the obituaries. Mm-hmm. Is it your question that you thought David Chase put this in place as a foreshadow to her future? Or was it like the well, origin so, of your question was, so when do you I'm think it was by design? Yeah, like to, it's a curious choice to yeah. have the camera focusing on a magnifying glass, having an old lady in Green Grove looking at the death notices. Sure. And, and what I'm getting at is, yeah, obviously it, it foreshadows the future, and we're not going to talk about the future, but what I'm trying to get at is, what does it say about her that that's how she spends her time? Yeah, she has and a morbid or, curiosity. The other thing is, who's she looking for? Well, I was going to say that. I was like, maybe she's looking to see if any of her friends are di- have yeah, died, but... Yeah. Does she have any friends? It sounds like she kind of wants Junior to die because she- That man is so full of himself since becoming couple regime. It makes me sick. Such a great moment there, too, when Tony calls her out on Rocco Alatori, which we'll get into. One thing on symbolism, because you threw it out before we got together, uh, that I noticed, and I don't know if you guys caught this, but there's also some foreshadowing in the episode when young Tony is playing catch with Junior. He gets distracted (laughs) by his mom and is almost hit in the head with a baseball. And Junior tells him, heads up, and... I don't know if this is a precursor to Ooh, a event I know that may happen I know later in the season, oh, orchestrated wow. by Junior and his mother. Let's, wow. let's see where I'm going with that. It. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but... That's actually brilliant, the baseball, because he also he uses the baseball metaphor in the beginning of the series, too, in the pilot. You may run North Jersey, but you don't run your Uncle Junior. How many fucking hours did I spend playing catch with you? Some key moments in the show... There is a scene when the very beginning, there's a camera technique that uh, Sopranos Autopsy mentioned. Again, the intricacies and the detail with which the Sopranos Autopsy gets into stuff makes me really happy and really proud to be part of this whole, like, Sopranos ecosystem. He mentioned this thing called a swish pan, where it goes from Tony to Christopher to the union. It blurs the transition. It blurs the transition. And then it blurs out of the scene to Tony and Carmela finding out about AJ. Yeah. So it was a technique choice that I want to point out. I have a question for you guys about this scene. You guys might not have seen this in my notes, so it might catch you by surprise. Impossible. Much has been made about the line that Christopher says, How am I? I got dust up the crack of my ass and I'm starving to death. I don't get that line. Do you guys get that line? Oh, it's just he's so... So just to explain that scene, there's a union work stoppage on account that Tony was owed money. And the construction official or whoever was working that site hadn't paid his union dues, which is basically Tony's extortion of the union to get this guy to pay the union so that Christopher, as the safety official, can perform his bullshit check and let the guy start his construction because he can't do it until Christopher signs off. And Christopher was just complaining like a whiny little brat, just like AJ as the parallel of the switch pan. Christopher was complaining that I've just been at work all day. I have dust on the crack of my ass because I've been sitting on my ass just waiting to eat. 
okay. and that's why he's hungry. It's so I don't the, think it was a metaphor for the anything. least it's sexy gonna, yeah. operation within the mob yeah. is playing a, a real job, and yeah. and I don't think Christopher liked it particularly liked it as much, much as some as of the other things he, he likes to do. Yeah. Um, another question from that scene that I have for you guys: mm-hmm. What does Tony mean at the union job site when he tells Christopher to once the guy says, "I got the money, I got yeah. the money," he says. Uh, Christopher, uh, give the union a call and see if this gentleman here has paid up his union dues and then pop on these wheel covers, we'll check the brake pads. I'll get right on it. It's him telling Christopher as the bullshit safety official, now you can inspect. And then the job can move forward and the construction guy who is busting Chris's balls can get paid. Now, is this job site one of the places that Junior was a part of the Junior Tony deal to let Junior be boss? Is this because it's? A, I could see that. What was? What we was don't know that for sure. Referred right? to as it was I'm, Bloom, I'm the sure. Bloomfield, and the there was a project, a construction. It was a site. I don't think that's what it was because they. I could be wrong, and this could be a fact check that our audience can tell me I'm an idiot about later on. But I think that they go to that site in a later episode, and it's a completely different place. Okay. Okay, so we got the union work stoppage out of the way. Now, the other kind of core feature of the show, core plot point of the show, is AJ's behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony and Carmela are at a parent conference. They're introduced to a new character. We're going to get into some of the new characters in the show in a moment. But basically, Tony and Carmela are told that Anthony has trouble following the rules. I love the cut to showing Tony, <laughs> Tony fidgeting yeah, yeah. and gyrating. Yeah. Um, oh, what's a fidget? Was he fidgeting? So, Dr. Justin, what constitutes a fidget? Tell us, Dr. Justin. I think we all know what a fidget is when we see one. There's there's not really too much explaining that needs to be done. It's biting your nails, being uneasy in your seat, being a little bit restless, moving sporadically. Just I, I think it's just your motor functions not being in control and not really thinking about it. It's more of just impulse control on a regular basis that you can't really help. So normally it'd be easy to dismiss AJ's behavior as childish hijinks, but since he is a soprano boy, the implications seem to be more serious. Do you guys think that he got targeted for more specific attention from the school because of what he did? They make mention of it. I mean, Tony is obviously on the defensive about it. I don't know. Personally, I feel like they wouldn't have let him into the school if that was going to be their kind of plan. They would have just avoided relations with them altogether. Obviously, money talks, Money right? talks. That's, but, that's why uh, he was in once it, you, Once you've let him into the program, you're not going to chastise him. And look, if you were the therapist and you know who Tony Soprano is and he comes to you, are you going to acquiesce or are you going to push the envelope? Yeah. Right? So, remember the scene where, where Carmela basically says, this is, he calls bullshit. They both call bullshit and they walk out. And this is, we're not going to pay for this. Yeah. The guy just folds up his little trapper keeper and goes home. Staying on that topic, I have a question. Sure. Do we think that Carmela and Tony are happy about the potential diagnosis because it kind of lets them off the hook as parents? Absolutely. And this goes into my reasoning of Tony is a bad father. Uh, <laughs> Which is a theme in the show. This is about fathers and sons. So Good uh, dad, bad dad debate. We should talk good, about this as dad, much as we want. Dad. The way that Tony, more specifically, uh, perks up at the mention of ADD, he may not be such a bad influence after all, I think, in his mind, and feels like AJ's actions may stem from a psychological disorder rather than... You know, this ADD thing? It's probably all genetical. Tony's ability to equivocate in this episode, particularly when he's in regard to like the horrible things that he does, as he points out that chemical companies dump their chemicals in the river and nobody cares about them. He's constantly shifting blame away from any responsibility that his raising of AJ has 
created this behavior. Yeah, this this goes back to one of my main themes of the episode. I have two. One is parental guilt, and we can talk about that as we uh, get through the show. But He feels a lot of guilt. Yeah, but more importantly, I think it's a nature versus nurture debate that goes on throughout the entire episode. Is... AJ's behavior a product of the way Carmel and Tony raised him, or is it genetical? Is this something that's a product of his ADD or any other potential disorder that he may have? What is it? And Tony's trying to get the answers from Melfi. He's having arguments with Carmela about it. I personally think that both of them are really excited at this potential development that he might have some sort of a disorder that is causing these problems instead of their good or bad parenting. And I I think I get some confirmation later on when Carmela walks out and refuses to pay the school psychologist, Dr. Galani, like you mentioned, because he doesn't meet the six of the nine criteria to be counted as ADHD or diagnosed as ADHD or ADD. 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 When we're talking about ADD in general, Dr. Justin's corner here, I'm not a real doctor, disclaimer, at all, nor have I ever been, but... Nor do you play one on TV. Nor do I play one on TV. Thank goodness. Yeah. It's really just characterized by attention or lack thereof, distractibility and impulsivity. Those are the kind of main tenets of of ADD and ADHD, you can just throw in hyperactivity. So that's the the fidgeting, the constant movement. That's where that H comes in. I think uh, this is sort of David Chase with the commentary of around that time, ADD was a very prevalent disorder yeah. and any misbehaved children or uh, learning disabilities or anything that didn't bring them along the path of everyone else was diagnosed of, it may be this. And yeah, even to the therapist's point, there's a ton of different factors and a ton of different diagnoses and no one person is like the other. And as I'm dating myself, this was around the same time that I was in high school and ADD was just a catch-all phrase that uh, blanketed any sort of behavioral problems that a kid may have had or learning issues. It's unrefined. They just, you know, they're just trying to find a quick, throw a quick solution on a problem. And, And I kind of relate that today um, I think we ha- we're a lot more woke and understand psychology as a society um, in this day and age. But I relate that to the way we kind of look at autism now, where it's it's a spectrum, spectrum. and we know that you're not categorized as somebody uh, with severe handicap. Um, you can be a fully functioning autistic. Uh, you know, it can be a, a severe handicap in some cases, but there's a big spectrum to go off of. And ADD, I think, is just so common now that we don't think of it as a big deal. But back then it was so new and it was so talked about and polarizing. That's why we see Carmela just look with absolute terror once uh, that's being mentioned about AJ. Melfi asks the question to Tony, and I'm going to throw the question back at you guys. Do you see AJ's behavior as a reflection of Tony's? He, she asks him, do you see your son's behavior as a reflection of you? Is that what's happening here? Like, is that... I don't think so at this stage, and only because I've seen all of the episodes. Maybe further down the line we'll get a view of that. But at his age and at the capacity of... AJ really doesn't know what Tony does yet. So I think I chalk it up to what Junior said. Is, hey, whatever happened, the boys will be boys. 
Love that line. And love that scene. Uh, great scene. For example, I, I grew up in a upper middle class neighborhood at the time when I was a senior in high school. It was the third safest city in America. At the same time, it was number one for underage teenage drinking. And it reminded me of AJ's in a private school. He's in an upper class neighborhood. I think kids just are naturally going to do bad things regardless of how well they're raised or what perfect environment they're put in. So I never uh, drank any sacramental wine. Did you guys do anything bad? I let a chicken out once in the middle of brunch. I've only threw it up. <laughs> so I went to I went to Catholic school, and detention in Catholic school was called justice under God, jug. Oh boy. Um, and I got jug for more things than I can count. But I never I never did anything that daring. I didn't have the balls of those kids, you know, the eighth yeah. graders, whatever, going in and stealing something. And, and um, here you are now, half a wise guy. Here I am, half a wise guy now, for sure. I did have a question regarding when AJ's talking to the psychologist. Mm-hmm. And the card that he shows is a horse. Yeah. I think it's safe to say we won't spoil anything by saying that there will be a horse in the future. But was that placed as a I think we can say there's a horse. There's a horse in the show, guys. There's a horse. Uh, and yeah, maybe. Maybe they didn't know about that season yet, though. Because I feel like season to season, it's sort of, you have to think. Because I, I don't know if you guys read this, but between the f- fifth season and the final season, there was a huge yeah. hiatus. David Chase asked for it because he wanted to sit on the final ending for a year and a half mm. to figure out what the hell he was going to do. So it's not all decided. The characters are kind of in his in his mind, I feel, but uh, I don't know that Piomai, let's just call him her, Piomai. Yeah. And news update, we found out Piomai is alive and well. Oh, and yeah. the owner of Piomai would like to be a guest on this show. Well, that would be season four? Season four, right? We're doing yeah. some... That's awesome. I thought that scene where AJ, Meadow, the whole entire family was sitting at the table. Love it. One of my favorite. That was a, such a good scene because it... The back and forth. There was a back and forth and it showed the issues that were going on between both of Tony's families. Yeah. Where Tony's telling his Uncle Junior not to encourage AJ. He was a this one. Him and his little crew. They used to steal lobsters on the boats on the shore and sell them for a buck a piece down on Bloomfield Avenue. Family dinners are always going to be the best place yeah. to bring these characters together yes. because they have to be so well-behaved as the family, but they're dealing with things behind the scenes, and it's that was a great one. Speaking of young Tony Soprano, you mentioned, uh, let me just shout him out right now, the actor's name is Bobby Borriello. This is a fascinating resume. He's played a young main character in three different of three different people. Hmm. So he's been a young Howard Stern in Private Parts. He's a young Tony Soprano in The Sopranos, uh-huh. and he was a young Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. Wow, that's Ty- a great cast, resume. He typecasts as the younger <laughs> version of but, but famous like, people. But like, talk about like mic drop, right? Yeah, the way that they cast the flashback. Members of the Soprano family, which we're going to jump into right perfect. now. Perfect. Junior looks exactly like a young Junior would look like. Livia as well. Johnny Boy Soprano is cast so well. I love, I love that actor. What else has it been? Joseph Saravo, graduate of both Stanford and NYU Tisch. His breakout role was the 1993 film Carlito's Way, which did you guys see? Yeah, great. I actually watched that a couple of months back. Sean Penn. And I remember, and remember, yeah, Sean Penn, Al Pacino, Al Pacino. There's that line. Have you you seen might it? have to sound bite where he's like, "Man, if they if I walk in and with you, they'll shit in their pants. You're <laughs> a fucking legend." Like that line. John Leguizamo. Was, Are you guys familiar with the Criterion Collection? It's like an organization that basically heralds movies. Oh, the Criterion. The Criterion Collection. Yeah. yeah. Is this a Criterion movie? Do you guys know? I think Carlitos this is one, one of the one? five of the nine Criterion that is needed to meet. Oh god. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah. So Joseph Saravo, Carlitos Way. Most recently, he portrayed Fred Goldman, Ron Goldman's father. In the People versus O.J. Simpson wow. on FX. Also, I saw that, but I never would have. No. Wow. 
Hollywood. Well done. Hollywood, well done. Man. And then Young Livia Soprano was played by an actress named Layla Robbins, whose credits include Homeland, Quantico, The Good Wife, In Treatment, 30 Rock, Sex and the City, Law wow. and Order, and even Planes, Trains, and Automobiles from back, back, back in the day. <laughs> Young Janice. So Tony's got siblings. Mm-hmm. We alluded to this a few episodes back. We see his siblings. Yeah. We see young Janice, and we see young Barbara. Barbara is the baby. The actress that played young Janice was Madeline Blue. There's not a whole lot of information on her out there. And then the young Junior Soprano, the baseball-playing Junior Soprano, actor named Rocco Sisto, also a Tisch grad, who acted in Donnie Brasco. So these guys are Another all great one. decorated actors, yeah. and they come from places. Let's talk flashback. Where do you guys want to go with the flashbacks? How do you feel about flashbacks in general? Maybe even recap it a little bit because it's a very important world building of Tony Soprano, who he is, where he came from. I think the first flashback that we see is Tony's in the therapist's office, Dr. Melfi's office. And I, just to talk about flashbacks for a moment, I think that they sometimes can be used as a cop-out and just a easy way to explain something. But the way that they use it in the therapy session where Tony's talking about a memory of his and his first experience of watching his dad exhibit some criminality is when he's talking about how he was really jealous of Janice who got to hang out with her father all day and I go on this trip. I thought the first scene was him looking he, in the mirror while he's taking his Prozac well, he and takes, White so he, Rabbit. So he takes oh, his Prozac. Right. You're right. Tony specifically mentions the band Jefferson Airplane in therapy. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it merited a little bit of a deep dive. Well, that song, White Rabbit, is played twice in the episode. It kind of anchors the show if you want to yeah. say it that. Bookends. Um, it's uh, one of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll, which is pretty cool. They headline Jefferson Airplane, they, they headlined three of the most famous festivals in the 60s, Monterey, Woodstock, and Altamont. I'd never heard of Altamont prior to looking this up. I haven't. Um, but you guys have heard of Monterey mm-hmm. and, uh, and Woodstock. The album White Rabbit is on is called Surrealistic Pillow, which is considered one of the most important albums of the Summer of Love. The reason that I'm talking about all of this is because we know that the prequel movie takes place right during this time, so I feel like this is not the last that we've heard of, nor will we hear of Jefferson Airplane, at least in The Soprano universe. Mm. So let's go back to that scene. Take me there. Rocco Alatore is, I think he's just a tertiary character that we find owes money to Johnny. And Tony misses the bus and walks down the street to see his father and uncle shaking a guy down for money. Uh, And this is his first taste that we know of, of seeing his father being violent. He even mentions that it was as as if he knew what he was doing. So his first experience of his dad as a professional tough guy, so to speak. We later see, this is the, I think in the second flashback scene, we later see young Tony trying to like follow his dad wherever he's taking Janice because he's jealous, right? He doesn't want to play baseball with Uncle Junior. He wants to go out and be with his cool dad. Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy is taking uh, Janice to a carnival. Um, I think the place is called, I'm doing this for the listener who wanted to know locations, the place is called Rideland. It's currently an apartment complex in Staten Island. Sign of the times, right? So they go to this place and he uses, I guess, is it safe to say that he's using his daughter as sort of a decoy? Yeah, as a cover. As a cover to handle his, whatever his dealings are. You start with Tony missing the bus, seeing his father. That's the first flashback. Then is him following via the trunk, which by the way, was never locked. They did a horrible job of making him pick that lock. The third part, he says, he tells Melfi, again at a later date he took the bus so it's not in the same scenario he goes once and sees that they go there and then he wants to be a part of it that he takes the bus and that's when he has the sandy candy bar and 
and then and we sees see, his father being busted. We see his father being busted. Let me rewind to the second trip, the second flashback, yeah. which is when he's in the car and he's listening to it. There's a song playing and the soundtrack is a, a song by a band called Them, which was Van Morrison's first band. That song broke his career. And as we'll know later on in the show, Van Morrison is featured heavily. The third scene that you mentioned, the third flashback, when Tony gets off the bus, there is a very special cameo yeah. from a very now massive actor. Yeah. I was delighted to find that Michael B. Jordan. That was a good catch too, because I didn't see that. I would have never, no. yeah, never noticed you that too. I heard it in his voice. I didn't know at first. I looked and I was like, is that Wallace? And then I looked back and it was Michael B. Jordan. He's been in The Sopranos. Michael B. Jordan's trajectory is officially... Blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. It's all good. It's and if you don't know, now you know. I do have a flashback question regarding some of the stuff with Tony. He obviously portrays in his flashbacks Livia as pretty nutty. I mean, she threatens to stab him in the eye with a fork, saying, I'd rather smother them with a pillow than take them to Nevada! Always with the drama! Well, what I want to know is, do you think this is how Tony imagined it, or is this... Did this actually happen the way Tony said? Well, she or says it... you believe what you want to believe. Right. I and think... she kind of plays dumb when he mentions that she said that. And I'm just, it started to lead me down this path of, is this really an accurate portrayal of a flashback or is this how Tony remembers it? And does it come with some exaggeration? I think for the purposes of the show, it was meant to be an accurate flashback. I don't know if flashbacks are there for interpretation. I think that they're just a medium to show what happened in the past. And in this particular case, Livia's actions are in line with everything that we've seen previously and going forward. So I think we can trust this as gospel. Fair enough. So AJ Jr. tells Livia that Tony's in therapy. Dad goes. He does not. Yes, he does. He does not. Yes, he does. To a psychiatrist? Yeah. He does not. He does too. But why do you say that? That's ridiculous. Because it's true. I heard him and mom talking about it. What does he need a psychiatrist for? She is in complete denial. Um, as we've discussed off mic and, and, and several times, it's like it's uh, most therapy begins and ends with the mother. So she knows that right off the bat. It's a, She has an interesting line about how she thinks, That's nothing but a, a racket for the Jews. She's just very protective of it. By the way, this is a serious question. And if this doesn't land right, I won't put it in the show. L- but, land it. But like, where does that come from? If you want to just be real specific, you could just say that Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, who are the two of the fathers of modern and just psychology in general, they're Jewish. Got it. That right there is what I was looking for because I love the scene because first of all, it's, it's like a dagger line, but she, notice how she like looks around to make sure it was safe to say, <laughs> but then like when she knows the coast is clear, she drops the line. So thank you for well, sharing it's, that. I, it's the same, the same thing happens right before that where she's talking to another member of the retirement community. The one with half a brain? The one. Yeah. <laughs> AJ is just so excited by that. Right. <laughs> she's so excited to see him, too. It was really nice. She's, she's a, a good grandmother. grandmother. Yeah. She she's a really her. good grandmother. Tony, she's a good grandmother, we'll give just her like that. Tony's a good father, okay? The tire change. That was a very telling scene. It was. Scene. Absolutely. He's, he's involved. We changed tires in this family, John. He's protective of his son in the classroom. He thinks it's all a bunch of BS and that he's just a teenager. And then, you know, I'm going to jump ahead here because I just want to, like, get this out. I want to, like, I want to yeah. push forth the debate yes. of our side. Yes. That end scene where he basically 
he's, you know, he says, look, you're grounded. You can't watch TV. You don't get Mario Kart and you don't get to play. You, basically, life sucks, but it does, it's not the end of the world. Come here. You know what? I just worked out. By the way, was he working out at nine in the morning or nine at night? Nine at night. Because yeah, like, like the, basement looked, the basement looked well lit and the kitchen looked dark. The ice cream thing was a very fatherly moment yeah. that I, you know, I, w- I would be proud to have. Basically saying, hey, look, son, you messed up. Here's a catch with that. So when Johnny Boy comes back from prison, what does he give to Tony? Tony says, Dad, where were you? And he says, oh, I just went and got you ice cream, some cherry vanilla. And that's how he squashes any question of where were you, what happened, any follow-up. And Tony does the same thing. Saves you know what? the day Don't, with ice cream. D- saves the day with ice cream. Love it. That's a great thread. Threading the needle is what I'm all about. Like LeBron, <laughs> like LeBron James passes, baby. You split the defense. We just lost and, so many listeners because of that comment. And you, th- and you thread the needle. Like oh, that was a no look pass you just threw. Okay. I, I'm really concerned that you guys think this is a valid reason because even bad fathers no, no, give no. their kids ice cream, right? No, no. It's it's <laughs> no, it's, the, it's the investment. It's the investment. It is. He's it invested is. with him. He's sitting down and he's playing Mario Kart with him. The last episode, he's involved. He shows up at the meetings. A lot of parents don't show up at meetings. The fact that he's present, these are all little notches in the corner. The fact that his career choice shouldn't go against him. Like, yeah, Melfi, there's this whole thing, and we I don't know how much you want to get into this, but this, there's this whole idea, This, uh, if you want to talk about symbols, there's this symbol of, like, Tony saying you are what you are, you're born into this, and Melfi saying... People have choices. She finally offers an opinion. Well, they do. You think that everything that happens is preordained? You don't think that human beings possess free will? I just watched The Affair last night, and it's the same thing. I Yes, I admit, I watched The Affair. But she's basically like, you know, why do people do this? Why do I keep getting myself in this situation as one of the characters? And the answer was, well, you are in control. Don't you feel like you yeah. have any control in anything that you're doing? And I feel like, in spite of the fact that Tony does what he does for a living, he checks all the boxes yeah. on, for the most part, we were talking about symptoms, eight out of sure. five out of the eight. He has six or eight or nine out of the characteristics of a good dad. So, so if, if dad was a grade, he'd have like a 65%? No, he'd have a B plus. But, <laughs> but I think just the fact that he cares enough to, one, obviously think about it on his own, but to bring it into his own therapy session and and show that concern, that that displays the characteristics of a of a good caring but parent. I mean, point, not every parent is going to know. Like, it's not black or white. You're not going to be a good parent because you know how to do everything exactly right. But I think fifty percent of the battle is just caring and showing up, showing up. Whatever. Who yeah. said who said the great line? I'm going to find it. That eighty percent of anything is just showing up. He could be very absentee. Given his line of work, given what he does, he doesn't have to be around. Um, but he's at Meadows Games. You know, again. The writers and the creators clearly want you to buy into the fact yeah. that he's there for his kids. So whether he's thinking it in his psyche or not is one thing. But what you, what Justin just said is super telling. He delves into it in therapy over and over again. And we're only, what now, seven episodes into the show? AJ's been a significant part of Tony's psyche in Melfi's office, yeah. in Melfi's chair. Yeah, I, And I think a lot of that still sways back to, and if you key in on his questions to Melfi, is more of a concern of, if this is his fault. And it's the guilt of M I see and, that. And, yeah. and justifying who he is I see that. as a reason behind that. But he does have a really great line. I'm glad if he's proud of me. But that's the bind I'm in, because I don't want him to be like me. 
that right there is mic drop fatherhood. Like, yeah, I don't want my kid to have any of my flaws. I want him to have my confidence. Yes. And I want him to have my, not my temperament, but I want him to have my worldview, but I don't want him to be me. Which, as we see later on, he takes every negative quality of Tony's and yeah. leaves the good ones on the table. Which is, which is again, it's this is it. We're intentionally being set up for that, sure, right? By the sure. creators of the show. And, and this, this all goes back to, to one of my main themes of this particular episode, and it's parental guilt. Yeah. Tony blames himself for what AJ is or could become or the potential diagnosis or just his behavior in general. Carmela blames herself and Tony, which I think is a little unfair, but that's just Carmela. But getting back to the most important part of the entire episode where AJ reveals that Tony's in therapy, I think what that does to Livia right then and there is... It fills her with dread and fear because she's finally going to be exposed for being a bad parent. At that point in time, Tony, and he even expresses this to Melfi, Tony thinks of his mother as He should his be mother. grateful. He should be grateful. You, you're supposed to be good to your mother. What am I, a bad son? That's the worst fucking thing in the world. That's what he says. And he starts to slowly get fed the truth of the fact that Livia isn't an ideal candidate for motherhood. Who has a stronger influence on Tony's upbringing, Johnny Boy's criminality or Livia's neuroses? I'd say it's uh, equal. I mean, we, we would say that uh, Johnny Boy wasn't around as much, yeah. but I think the influence weighs heavily on, on both. Yeah, I think he's a, definitely a product of both. Obviously, he followed his father's career path, so we can't say that he didn't have an impact. But he even but says... He almost, his, but he almost became a, a mattress salesman in San Diego. Salesman salesman in San, salesman yeah. in San Diego. But I think his father wasn't around too much by his own admission. So I, to me, he's, he's a product of both Livia's neuroses and Livia's enabling of Johnny's criminality. She's somewhat of an accomplice, in my opinion. Um, Why didn't she let him go to Reno, you guys? I think she was just a fear of change, just she was scared of him failing. She didn't think too much of Johnny. Oh, oh Mr. Cashflow, big businessman now. Well, what do you know about it? You're scared of your own shadow. Reno is growing by leaps and bounds, <sighs> Livia. It's a chance to get in on the ground floor. After Rocco gets the book up, he's going to open a new supper club. He wants me to run it. A supper club? Are you drunk? A pillar on the Jesus Christ on my fucking albacore around my neck. AJ tells Livia, Livia knows about therapy. Junior comes in and sits down with her. Yeah. She's about to tell Junior, and Tony walks in. Do you think Livia... He's, yeah, we, we, don't we, we disagree. Is. I don't think that... I don't think she's gonna tell Junior. I think she's setting it up. She's a lot more deliberate and careful. A lot more calculated. She's really calculated, so I think she wants to plant the seed and really sell it to Junior. So this is the initial stages of her plan. And even moreover, I, I think it was the perfect opportunity for her to insinuate to Tony that she does know and have Which that in does. her corner. She drops a, a, a line to me. Oh, Mr. Sensitive now. Well, if it bothers you, maybe you better talk to a psychiatrist. That's a great exchange, too. She does some brilliant acting there where she goes from, like, what's the word? She morphs from, you know, minuscule to massive in a moment when Tony says the line about how yeah. the, the Justin says so well about you know, everybody thought Dad was the ruthless one, but I gotta hand it to you. If you'd been born after those feminists, you would have been the real gangster. I don't know what you're talking about. Great scene. That scene also accomplishes a lot of the season. 
in about 40 seconds. The last three scenes, when you put it together, it catches you up on all the prior six episodes yeah. you've watched, and it kind of readies you for this showdown. There's going to be some kind of a showdown, and I thought it was great. Heads up, as Junior would say. Yeah, nothing really gets moved forward in this episode outside of that one statement that AJ reveals to Olivia, but there's so many flashbacks and character developments that they pack into this one episode that it's still so meaty. There's so much substance. Um, I'm going to just beat the Reno thing to death one more time because <laughs> they, they mentioned this guy. It's passing. We've I, I don't remember ever hearing about him again. Rocco Alator. He's the guy that Johnny Boy beats up and then later congratulates him when he gets out of prison. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Boy says he's a super smart guy. He wants to open a book in Reno. He's coming up. He's a riser. And then later on, he's going to open a supper club and he wants me to run it. Sounds like an entrepreneurial sort a situation where you partner up with a friend or you do sort of like, you know, latter day venture capital or whatever you want to call it. Um, interesting character arc for a guy that we never hear from again. So again, I'm just throwing out the having get my creative juices just started flowing and I'm thinking like, well, there could be like a, there's a prequel happening. There could very easily be a Rocco Alatori story um, because she says, Olivia tells, tells us. You remember the Alatori's ma? Oh, why wouldn't I? You know, they moved to Nevada. They're billionaires now. Oh, that Rocco Alatore, he was a real go-getter. You can see Tony's face shifts immediately. Like, well, what the fuck? What about us? Dad could have been there. We could have been doing that. Because for a minute, I get the sense that Tony would have doesn't necessarily love what he does. He would have loved to have a chance to maybe get out and be legit. He tells Melfi that as well. Like, look, there's this guy who, like, put a little thing on, on the end of a hot dog, and now he's made I millions. That. I love yeah. that. I got a sense that Tony would like to come up with the whiz-bang a Shark Tank business and then sit on his ass. Like, he's not thrilled about what he's doing. I think, I don't know about you guys, but I think as you get older, you start to think about different points in your life could have drove you in two different directions. And and those those decisions dictate everything else that follows. And I think in particular scenarios, when you find out someone made a lot of money or someone ended up doing something more successful than you... You, it ingrains hu- in your mind very that, oh, human, things could have very happened human thing very different. Everybody can relate to. Yeah. But Love let's it. be real. You think Tony could have done anything with his temperament and personality other than he what he did? He could have run a book. He could have run a book in Vegas. You know what? Sure, but yeah. I think that would have been along the lines of what he's currently doing. He yeah. couldn't have been a, a normal Legit Joe Schmo. Le- a Kevin Finnerty? Honestly, the exactly. The, the, only, the only thing that I think he could have been, which is alluded to in the final season, is... Is like a football coach. Somewhere where your temperament, you can get angry, you can get mad, you can show your leadership features. That's probably the only regular person job that he might have been able to maintain with his personality and excel at. I buy that. I don't think he's going to be a good insurance salesman. (laughs) He's not taking no for an answer. Uh, Dr. Justin has a side job as a recruiter and job placement manager. <laughs> um, Tony mentions Carmela's uncle Lenny. Do we know anything <laughs> about Uncle Lenny? He says an Italian word. He that says I ubats. I don't Ubat. know, what, know that what that means. means. I'm sure we can find I that out. I looked deep dive for you, uh, and I know you. nothing about any of it. I, I think it's uh, David Chase being successful at mentioning characters that we are to just to assume just have some meaning, but go and nowhere. We spend, we spend copious amounts of time trying to deep dive on. Yeah. So there is no there is no future reference to Uncle Lenny. So Ubats from Urban Dictionary <laughs> okay. derived from an Italian expression used to describe someone thing as nuts, crazy, or insane. Okay. That so, makes sense. That, that makes sense. sense. I think I have the most important question. Ooh, there you go. Oh. Save the best Come for on, last. John. Come on, John. John. So this goes into my usual, I look for some of the mistakes or the inaccuracies or Tony and AJ, and I want everyone to take a second look in the house. 
with the ultimate Sopranos ice cream station. Mm-hmm. They've got everything, mm-hmm. the sprinkles, the M&Ms, but they have two different whipped creams. Tony's making a sundae when you show him with Pathmark brand. But when him and AJ mess with the whipped cream, it turns into Ready Whip. Well, and this leads to the question, are certain brand of whipped creams better for certain scenarios? Is Ready Whip better for straight to the mouth? Is Pathmark better for on top of the ice cream? Inquiring minds want to know. So you officially never get to complain about my lipstick, <laughs> Esoterica, okay? So, but no, we've proven that or we're so idiosyncratic about the show that when we're watching it frame by frame, we're looking at things like that. And we're, I'm not going to catch everything. You're not going to catch everything. That's why we're just going to check and balance each other. I like that. I like production glitches because we, none of us have said the biggest one yet, which I didn't really think was that big of a deal. But since we're talking production yeah, yeah. glitches, the flashback scenes. The UPC code? I didn't see that one. Oh. The flashback scenes, so it was in 1960s New Jersey, right? Uh-huh. But a lot of the cars in those scenes are like modern day cars. So oh, like I you, that. you see Johnny Boy's Cadillac in the forefront, but in the background, like at the intersections, you see like Ford Mustangs and stuff. Good catch. Well, Vic. if we're going to go into the Pot of Bing conspiracy corner, John's favorite spot, in the f- one of the scenes where um, Chris brings in the watches from the FedEx truck that he stole and Tony like storms off, you see in the back corner some random guy on the computer that we never see. He doesn't say a word in that episode, but he's just this guy in the computer, doesn't say anything, but apparently he's a part of close enough of the crew that he can just be chilling in the back of Bada Bing. And I, I deleted this one, but I'll bring it back because in the flashback with Tony's youth where he sees his father, father beat up a man, young Tony's carrying a black and white composition book with a UPC barcode on the front. <laughs> now, the flashback's set in the mid-1960s, but as we all know, <laughs> UPC barcodes were not introduced until 1974. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh. do, do not delete those in the future. <laughs> that shit is awesome, okay? Look, like, they're not perfect. They're on deadlines. They have stuff to do. But this is the kind of thing that makes it, that humanizes it. Um, I want to end with the scenes. So some listeners have written in and been like, where was this shot? Where was that shot? Like I mentioned, the places that we haven't said yet, I mentioned the church. Um, a lot of people have asked about the Sopranos house. 14 Aspen Drive, North Caldwell. That's the house. That's where the exterior shots are for the house. Uh, Tony's childhood home. Uh, don't have an address for you, but I can tell you that it's on the corner of New York Avenue and Jefferson Street in Newark. Still there. And then one scene, which is actually actually a very beautiful sort of uh, backdrop. Uh, New Jersey at its finest, I'll say, is the tire changing scene. That is the Pulaski Skyway. And uh, so there you have it. So I do have an alternate title. Okay. Sacramental Fidgeting. Ooh, I like it. Nice one. I, that was your best one yet. We can keep you around, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's been a pleasure as always. Next week, we'll be back with episode eight. We'll see you then. We shall return. Okay.